What's up, guys? We're back two episodes in two days. Let's see how this goes. Um, it's not a two-person for the first time in like a week and a half. Got Let's Carl go. here, got Buddha here. Let's go. Uh, hopefully, Delby will rejoin us after he gets back from Myrtle Beach. But and On vacation, he's living his best life. That he is. That he is. Oh, crap. There we go. Alright. Wait one second here. Alrighty. There's gonna be a little lag in there, but uh Carl, we're gonna start with yours, Mr. Dalvin Cook of the Minnesota Vikings. Take it off with me. Alright. So the biggest story coming into this all season for the Minnesota Vikings so far is definitely well one re signing Kirk Cousins to the deal that they did. But most importantly to me, it's going to be what's going on with Dalvin Cook and his contract situation. Um, he wants to be paid like the top back in the league, which I think we can all agree that that the running back position is highly replaceable, but also commands a lot of money on the open market. Um. The top four highest paid running backs in the league currently are Christian McCaffrey at sixteen million, Zeke at fifteen million annually. Obviously. Um, then you have Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson making thirteen million dollars a piece. Yikes. 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 David Johnson, yikes. Okay. Advantage of the market, bro. That's just like <laughs> that's exactly what that was. He he had one good year, cashed out and just has been crap ever since. Done nothing. Okay, now Dalvin Cook, um, three years of Florida State, all-time leading rusher in Florida State history. Uh, rushed for over 4,400 yards in his career. Over 40 touchdowns as well on the ground. First team All-ACC and All-American in 15 and 16. Um... Drafted 41 overall in 2017 to by the Minnesota Vikings. He fell. Uh, he was widely regarded as top two or three in the draft. He was taken behind McCaffrey and Fournette, of course, who went top ten. Um, he fell in the draft because he had a lot, of off, uh, a lot of off-field issues at Florida State. Well, a lot. He had three. And he also had fumbling problems. He had double-digit fumbles in three seasons. Um, uh, let's see. I think he fumbled three times against Oregon in the Rose Bowl in 2014. He, he fumbled three times and lost two of them. Yep. You'd think you'd get that fixed in uh, the NFL, at least. You'd think you get the pro level and you get that fixed. But you see guys lose the ball all the time because they're carelessly running. Cam Newton's is one of the prime examples. The dude holds the ball out like he's holding it, like he's just gripping it out, which I, I think nothing wrong with that. You can nope. get new cards, but. Nope. And honestly, one of the greatest running backs of all time, Adrian Peterson, fumbles the ball at such a high rate, and he has his whole career. <laughs> uh, Tiki Barber did too, and he fixed it pretty early on, so. Yeah. Hey, uh, spring shout out. Yeah. Always. I hear that. Um, but yeah, um, week one of 2017, he broke Adrian Peterson, single game rookie rushing record against New Orleans. 
in a game that nobody thought Minnesota was going to win. But sadly, three weeks later, he tore his ACL, ending his rookie season. So, so you mean to tell me the Vikings beat the Saints? What a shock there! What a shocker! <laughs> and Booner, you drink a Baja Blast right now. One of the best drinks out there. Oh, okay. Um, in 2018, he missed four games with a hamstring issue. He still rushed for 615 yards on fewer carries than uh, Latavius Murray had. Uh, he had a, his massive breakout was last year. He had almost 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. But, once again, he missed the final two games of the season with a shoulder injury. So that brings into question, what is his value currently, and what should the Vikings do? Because if he wants the money, like the guys that I suggested earlier, the Vikings don't have the money to resign him. They only have $12.2 million in cap rate. So they'd have to they'd have to definitely make some space. And as I said to open, the running back position is one of the most highly replaceable positions in the game. If not the most. If not the most replaceable position in the game. So I leave this to y'all. How do you think this situation in Minnesota winds up? Um, I'll just say uh, we talked about McCaffrey, Fournette, and Dalvin Cook. The 2017 running back draft class is the best of all time. Let's yes. just call it what it is. Um, yeah, um, like you said, uh, drafted 41st overall in 2017 on a Florida State. Uh, three years there, he ran for over 4,400 yards, 46 touchdowns, which in three years is ridiculous, with 1,000 yards minimum every season and average over six yards a carry for his career. But, as I said, his fumbling <clears throat> issues, like you can, I mean, Look, Florida State never stood a chance in the Rose Bowl against Oregon, but Dalvin Cook certainly didn't help matters by giving Marcus Mariota the ball twice with half the field. Yes. Um, like you said, he had a good start in his rookie season, 300 yards and a few touchdowns and four starts before tearing his knee apart in October of 2017, missed the rest of the year. Returned in 2018, had 615 on the ground and two touchdowns in 11 games. Uh, he missed the final five due to a hamstring injury. As you said, breakout year came last year, over 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns in only 14 games, and he missed the last two due to a shoulder injury. Uh, a shoulder AC joint sprain, to be exact. Uh, for his career, he's rushed for over 2,100 yards and 17 touchdowns. And now comes his contract. He wants the top-tier running back money, as in Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey, Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott, mainly those two. McCaffrey makes $16 million a year, or will be. Uh, Zeke is at $15 million already. Um, the Vikings' offer was absolutely insulting. It was less than $10 million a year. And you, you said about Le'Veon and David Johnson. Those two aren't even in Dalvin Cook's league right now. He is the 41st highest paid running back in the league. Dalvin Cook last year was with... The McCaffreys, the Zeeks, the Derrick Henrys, the Nick Chubbs, the Saquon Barkleys. Um, so <coughs> Minnesota's cap, as you said, it's nowhere anywhere near to offer the 15-16 that he wants. And the easy fix is to take that ridiculous contract of Kirk Cousins and break it down a little bit. But I don't like think it happened. with Nick Bowles. Yep. Um... That's kind of what needs to happen there. But honestly, 
16 million is a lot for a guy that's missed 18 games in three seasons. You look at Zeke, who has 15 million. I don't. Th- I don't think I've ever seen the man hurt. Long term, anyway. Christian McCaffrey has never been hurt in his entire collegiate or professional career. I'm knocking on wood with you. Trust me. I'm knocking on it. Is <laughs> literally our entire team. But so honestly, I'll tell you, man. I don't expect him to be in Minnesota past this next season. I think Minnesota doesn't have the money. He walks, or he's traded, which is a another reliable option. Um, and he probably goes to a team that overpays for a team that needs a running back, a.k.a. Kansas City. God help everyone if he goes to the Patriots. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I personally think his career, as far as the Minnesota Vikings are concerned, is coming to an end and swiftly. So with my take on that, one thing I wanted to kind of just point out Carl's comment, like not coming against you whatsoever. For me personally, like you said, that running backs are replaceable. I think we're at a shift in the game of football today where we're not necessarily looking for the quarterbacks that are going to be throwing, you know, these huge yard numbers. There are offense like that. Bruce Arians offense is one of the perfect example. You see some of the top teams nowadays, those, you know what offense they're running and inheriting? The RPO. Yeah. I mean, if you're not inheriting that into your offense, you're behind. Agreed. You're behind. 100% agreed. Uh, with that being said, I've always thought running backs are a crucial position because if you can establish a run game, I don't care how good the other team is, that sets something. It's a standard and it just changes the tempo of the game. It's demoralizing. If you're getting pounded and pounded and pounded, Zeke Elliott, perfect example of a guy that used to do this. He hasn't quite been up to tempo here recently, but he used to perfect example. He would just do, like you tell the defense just getting tired, getting swapping out. So I mean, I see why Dalvin is kind of like saying, "Look, I'm one of the top tier running backs in the league. I want some money. I think he will probably end up, end up being snapped up by another team. Don't know who's gonna be." Um, I just, like Biggie said, I just don't think that the Vikings are going to be willing to pay what he wants. There's also, sorry, there's also another thing. Um, they have their safety out opposite Harrison Smith. They got to pay too. Yeah. Anthony Harris, I think Jordan agrees that his time as a Viking is probably over as well. Thielen <laughs> well, still with the Vikings, isn't he? Yeah, Thielen's there. Yeah. And making all the money, too. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think he's gone. I think he's a good running back. I think he's kind of in the... I'm not trying to rattle on Delby's team. He kind of reminds me of the Carson Wentz situation. When he does play, he puts up good numbers. He looks uh-huh. good. But problem is, he doesn't play very often. Or he gets his season cut short. Which... Inherently is a problem. I, I, the Eagles did a good, good job of picking up with Nick Foles and winning a Super Bowl. I credit them with that. It's one of the toughest things to do in the league. You got to have that consistent guy. So, you know, know, and just to add on to a few things about him, that's like, I mean, he even had injury issues back in Florida State, so it's nothing new. But this year, with there are a lot of teams in the NFL that could use a running back like him. New England. Even though I think New England's running back room is best in the league, just talent-wise. Yeah. Um, I, there's just a few teams that I could see. 
See, my main difference between Dalvin Cook and the two running backs that he wants to get paid like are, as I said, durability. It's, And honestly, you know a team, and th- they've been in the news the last couple hours due to what uh, FedEx has requested them oh. do. Oh, no, not again. Um, I think the Redskins might be a fit for him, honestly. If it, That's if he walks, of course. And they should have the money for it. If Sean, Dalvin Cook, kidding me? Jesus. I'm telling you, though, I think the Redskins finished third in the eight, in the NFC East this year. I, Dude, think, I think they're better than the Giants. Left on teams in this coming season. If I'm it all depends on Dwayne Haskins. It's that simple. Dude. Here's my thing, though. He proves that when he has people surrounding him and people doing their jobs around, he, they win games. They can. Yes, great. Problem is he just he can't rely on his, his offensive line. Which I mean, a quarterback you can't rely on offensive line. You're not going to be elite. I mean, it, yep, you know Biggie, you know Rella. But I mean, I don't know. yeah, um, you know, I definitely agree. Over the last half of the season last year, Dwayne Haskins was a top. Half quarterback. Yeah, and then then you got. I mean, they have guys in AP back there, and then they have Terry McLaurin, who's massively underrated. Um, it's just, is their offense going to be able to score enough? Because I have full faith with Rivera there in that defense. Their defense is going to be top fifteen, if not top ten. I agree. So it's going to be their offense. I think they have more talent than the Giants, but I don't think they're there yet to compete with Dallas and Philadelphia for the division. So that's Dalvin Cook. Um, All right. I'm going to try my absolute best to not lose it. But, Buddha, we're going to go with your topic with the New Orleans Saints. Let's see how long I can keep it. I can keep biased here. Keep it cool, buddy. It's all I ask. It's all I ask. 2.4 seconds. Okay. So, obviously, Drew Brees has been always been one of the biggest athletes within New Orleans from basically any sport of all time. Um, he's done good things there. Um, he's done some questionable things here recently that I think he's making, he's made amends with, which I think is good for him. Um, I've always been a fan of Drew. I've never had a problem with him. Biggie, I know you can't stand the Saints. I've never had a problem with Drew Brees. Um, kind of had a problem with the coaching for the New Orleans Saints, not necessarily the players. Um, but with Drew, things coming up, it seems like it's going to be his last trip, you know, his last ride into the sunset. And I don't know how many years he has left. And that deal that, uh, he's got with the NFL here recently where he's about to be a commentator. As soon as he retires, he's got that job locked up. I don't know whether or not he's going to be able to make a playoff push before he retires. I think he could, but... I kind of just wanted to see what y'all thought about that. Um, when it comes to Breeze and the Saints specifically, like, yeah, I mean, they can make a playoff push, and they will. They will win the NFC South, and people are going to be like, oh, Brady, Tampa Bay. It's like, until they prove it on the field, the Saints own this division. Um, with the Saints, it's as simple as the fact they, they are what I like to call the Houston Rockets of the NFL. They're a great regular season, but they can't get it done in the postseason. And, yeah, they have a Super Bowl. I get that. But since that victory, they're four and six in the playoffs. Have only been to the NFC Championship game once, which they lost, and we're not going to get into that because that's a whole other story in itself. Um, oh, but boy. but on his last leg, I mean, 
I just don't think they get over the hump because if they run into Minnesota in the playoffs, we all know how that goes. Um, I don't think the Saints as a whole are better than Seattle. I think it's a lot easier to go into the, their dome now and win. It's coming from a Panthers fan who in Carolina has one of the best winning percentages in that place. I think, I personally think the Cowboys are a better team than they are. Um, well, we, beat, we beat them in their place. So e- it's okay. Exactly, that's my point. Um, but Breeze in 14 seasons down in New Orleans, he's thrown for over 65,000 yards, uh, a 68.8% average completion percentage and 467 touchdowns, has won Super Bowl victory in 2009 against Indianapolis and was the MVP of that game. He's played in 16 playoff games, has thrown for over 4,900 yards and 34 touchdowns. He's got 35 career comebacks and 50 game-winning drives. And the craziest stat to me is he's thrown for over 5,000 yards in a season four times. You know what his record is? Never won an MVP. Never won an MVP. You know what his record is in the playoffs? Do you know what that is? Uh, not off the top of my head. I wonder if it's above 500. I believe it's 8-8. Eight and eight. I believe he's 500 even. And so, and he's still Fisher in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a 13-time Pro Bowler, was first-team All-Pro in 2006 where they lost – to the Bears in the NFC Championship game, so they've been the two in his tenure. Um, he leads; he's the all-time league leader in passing yards and touchdowns with seventy-seven thousand four sixteen through the air and five hundred and forty-seven touchdowns, and he's a f- easily a future first ballot Hall of Famer without question. Um, but as I said last year, they lost to Minnesota in a game they never should have lost. Yes, the NFC Championship game. I'm not even going to deny it. They got screwed. Safe to say. All right. They still had the ball first in overtime. We couldn't do it. That. Again. That. Uh, the year prior, I mean, they shouldn't have lost to Minnesota there with the Minneapolis Miracle. And it's just, it seems every year, they finished the last three years 13-3. and three. And that team is too talented not to be in a Super Bowl. And honestly, Buddha touched on it. You know, my main issues with New Orleans really isn't the players. It's the coaches. Like, everything surrounding Bounty Gate just irks me. Because how can the league have any respect for an organization that put hits on teams' quarterbacks? Mine included, and obviously and, and obviously, you have the most egregious one, which was Brett Favre in the 9 NFC title game. Yeah. That, so... Um, like the Saints got an excellent roster, their coaching staff's great, but they also seem to fizzle out before the playoffs start. Carolina usually plays them in week seventeen every year, and they kind of start fizzling out by week fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, as Buddha said, he's got a commentary job lined up. Um, I see the Saints possibly getting that home field spot in the NFC, but honestly, I don't see them getting the Super Bowl. I just don't. Yeah. I, like, I like the team that dethrones them. I wouldn't mind Dallas being the team that dethrones uh, Drew Brees. I, I feel like it, them. man. No, uh, I mean it could definitely happen. But uh, I mean Dallas is a really good team on paper. On the field. I just, I just want to see him play. I can, I yeah. just want to see him play. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, as you said, but the whole bounty gate thing. Going back to the 09 NFC Championship game, they're they're one Brett Favre being Brett Favre away from losing that game anyway. Yep. Yeah. So, 
So. And that would have rewritten history completely. Yep. Um, yeah, they go along with all the stats. Like, like I said, he's maybe the greatest quarterback of all time that's never won an MVP. Easily. Easily the greatest quarterback of all time that's never won an MVP. And that's just the era that he played in. Yeah. Because he's alternating the yards and touchdown record with Tom Brady like every other week or something like that. Yeah. Which honestly, yes. I think that Super Bowl MVP is kind of more important than regular MVP to begin with. I would agree. I could, but yeah. then, yeah, then yeah. If they give the Super Bowl MVP to to odd people. Yeah, like, like, I, like, like and, with like the regular season, they'll give it to a player that's like team that doesn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, that, yeah that, that happens a lot. Not saying Malcolm Smith didn't deserve to win Super Bowl MVP. That was the name that came to my head. Hey, I was happy for him. Hey, uh, j- just to put this out there, um, if the Panthers had won Super Bowl Fifty, the I could uh, the Super Bowl MVP would have been Coney Ely, who's not even in the league anymore. Just to tell you, he had two that, and a half sacks and two forced fumbles in that game. So. What a stat that is! Might have been Cam if he would have gotten the fumble. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Buddha, uh, those are okay, fighting words. Back, back to the Saints and Drew Brees. Um, I definitely think he is on his last leg, but if they keep playing offense the way that they are, he's not really doing a whole lot in that offense anymore. Nope. He's, he's dropping the ball off to, to Michael Thomas. He's the slant king of the century, we all know. But I'm not saying that's all he does because Michael Thomas is a, is a hell of a route runner, just in general. Agree 100%. he's... He's playing the game that they need him to play. And if you're dumping it down to Michael Thomas for 8 to 10 yards and you're handing it off to Alvin Kamara or checking it down to him, you can last in this league a couple more years. But in, I think this is the second year of the two-year deal that he signed a couple years ago. Uh, yep. Actually, I think, actually, I think that was last year. He signed a massive one-year deal in this past offseason. Yeah. Um, I think if they can make a run, definitely if they somehow win the Super Bowl, that he's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, I think if they make a run, it's going to be going into next offseason what he's going to do. The day-by-day kind of deal. Yeah, if... But if for some reason they come out and they're just terrible, which I don't think they, they are, he's done. Because you don't need a rebuilding. Uh, you don't need to be rebuilding a team with a thirty-nine-year-old quarterback. No, yeah, exactly. And the off- yeah. the way the offense is run down there, I mean, any quarter. It's like the Patriots. It's like the system up in New England. Any quarterback could succeed in there. I mean, proof in point. Look at Teddy. He was pretty much sensational in those five games, and that's why we gave him $63 million. Hey, um, but, hey, but you have an out after the first year. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I don't – look, I just spoke on that for one second. I, I trust our front office as far as I can throw Marty Herney, and that's not very far. <laughs> hey, hey I've, I've seen you. you. You can throw somebody, Ian. I would <laughs> – um, but yeah, it's kind of how it is with the Saints. Basically, all those words I said are me being relatively nice because there are things you both have heard me say about them, but we won't repeat those. I'm pretty sure I heard you say worse than that about three hours ago. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. Um, 
But on to our uh, college football segment as we continue just to find teams nowadays. We're just putting them all together. We're putting them all. To, we're putting them all together until we get to the finale because Dolby has to be here for the finale. So uh, now we're going to go to the University of Michigan. I love. I love them. Biggie. They're my favorite. Those you just favorite. told me the other night that they were one of your least favorites. Stop. I know. Don't worry. I might talk to you mad. Michigan now is now they are the annoying little brother of Ohio State. Yeah, just like Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it adds up. They can't win the big that ones, and they're just average. Um, and you know, this didn't used to be the case. They used to be one where it mattered. From 1969 to 1992, they won 16 Big Ten conference titles. They played in 12 Rose Bowls. Only had one season under eight wins, twelve double-digit win seasons, and a record of two twenty-two and fifty-seven. In nineteen ninety-seven, they won their eleventh and final national championship, but going twelve and zero. Yes, they have more national championships than Ohio State, but all of those were before nineteen. Ten of those were before nineteen sixty-nine, back when there really was no competition. Um. Michigan's best coach in history, his name is Lloyd Carr. He coached them from 95 through 2007, and we'll get to the 2007 year here in just a second. Um, Michigan went 122-40 and 40 under his leadership uh, with the one national championship in 1997 and five Big Ten championships. Uh, they had four outright and one shared. Um, while successful under Carr, he was also the coach in 2007 in the greatest upset in the history of college football. Oh, there he is. I thought uh, he just, like, disappeared. <laughs> when Appalachian Whoa. State went into the big house and upset Michigan in 2007. Um, but there's also a thing. And you are measured... If you're a head coach at Ohio State or Michigan, your success is not measured by national championships. It's not measured by conference championships. It's measured by what your record is against... Ohio State or Michigan, depending on which side you're on, and and Carr was six and seven against Ohio State during his tenure, which isn't going to get it done. But he wasn't fired; he retired after the 2007 season, and he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2011. Then come the next two: Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. Oh man, Rich Rodriguez. Could argue be one of the worst coaches in the history of Michigan football, if not the worst. Yeah. Rich, I, I just... Um, Rich Rod, they went 15-22 and 22 in three seasons with only one bowl game, which they lost. He was fired after three years. In came Brady Hoke, and Brady Hoke was pretty good. He had that one good year, and these are about to be fighting words. Um... Michigan's lone notable season since their national championship came in 2012 with an 11-2 record, and there is like five asterisks next to this next topic. Their Sugar Bowl win against Virginia Tech. No, it's not a win, Biggie. I, I know it's not. I know it's not. Don't give that to them. I know. That's why there are asterisks next to it. Everyone knows. I agree. <laughs> Danny Cole caught the ball. Everyone knows. All right. I told you that was gonna be fighting words. Um, no, I can't stand because they they always they always they love that win. 
it's an iconic win for the Michigan's Michigan University. Well, it's, it. it pretty much it's the only it's the only relevant win they've had in the past twenty years. Yeah. That's true. yeah. Um, Brady Hoke went thirty-one and twenty over four seasons. Was one and two in bowl games, and then Lord Hello. and Savior, Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, Baby Jesus, whatever you want to call it, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, nope. Um, oh, nope. While they've been they've been forty-seven and eighteen in his years there. That's about it. He's one and four in bowl games. He's never been in the Big Ten championship game. Oh yeah, and he's zero and five against Ohio State. And most of those have been blowouts. The last two, they haven't even been on the same field as Ohio State. Uh, Michigan hasn't beaten the Buckeyes since 2011, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, only once in the past 15 years or something like that. Yeah, once last 15, only three times since 2000. And most of those have been uh, blowouts, honestly. Um, Harbaugh, to me, is in the hot seat coming into 2020, but let's be real. At this rate, considering what came out of the governor of South Carolina's mouth earlier today, college football is about a 90-10 of not happening. But if it does, he's on the hot seat. Michigan is not that talented at quarterback. They've got Dylan McCaffrey, and yes, that is CMC's younger brother. Um, But Ohio State... This is a national championship contender again. So I just don't see it ending. Michigan will probably win eight, nine games again. They'll lose to Ohio State. They won't get to another Big Ten title game, and they'll probably lose the bowl game that they're in. So to me, Michigan is that program that people still commit to because it's a a Power 5 program and it's known. But me, if I'm a recruit and it's between Michigan and Ohio State, I'm going to the Buckeyes no matter if playing time is a factor or not. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um I think kids get to go to Michigan nowadays because of Harbaugh, simply because that's just what he does. He's really good at recruiting. He's not a great head coach, though. Um, I was doing my research. I learned that Michigan has the most wins all time in college football. Really? Yep. Yep. 962, 346, and 36. When were those, those games played? In the 1950s? <laughs> well before then. <laughs> Oh, wow, even better. They have a, a career 729 win percentage, but they have a losing record in bowl games. They're 21 and 27 all time. They're like, and they've gotten the Rose Bowl a lot, but they've lost like 85% yeah. of the Rose Bowls. They began playing football at U of M in 1879. Nice. They joined the Big Ten in 1896, in the first year of the Big Ten. Yeah, they only have they have eleven claimed national championships, and they've only won one since nineteen forty eight. Wow, that's phenomenal. Um, Ian pretty well covered everything else. They were nine and four last year, six and three in the conference, and they ended up running into a really angry Alabama team in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, and they're currently 15th in the 2020 AP preseason poll that we probably won't have. But like, here's the thing about that is like they'll be 15, but they'll pro- but it doesn't matter because Ohio State, if we have it, will be in the top five. And what's really going to happen is you look at Ohio State's schedule. Week two, they're scheduled to be in Eugene against Oregon, Michigan. I just 
with Michigan, I just don't get all the hype. Because they don't... Like, you could say, yeah, Harbaugh's won a game, but let's see, like I said, 1-4 in bowl games, has never been in the Big Ten Championship game, has never beaten Ohio State. I don't know how he's still the coach there. I'll be real honest with you. Name value. It's all he brings. Yeah, here, see, here's my thing with Harbaugh. Here's my main thing with Michigan. Like you said, he gets the recruits in, but he gets the recruits in solely because of the fact that when everyone thinks of Jim Harbaugh, they think, okay, ex-NFL coach. Yeah. Don't let it to me, NFL coaches, that I wouldn't, I mean, I would call it a little bit of like a decrease in, like, I mean, I guess a job-wise. I mean, I think the top tier is obviously NFL coaching and then college. I mean, it's just a different game. It's the, the pace is different. I mean, it's a whole different speed. It's just, and Harbaugh, that's it. He's just a recruiting guy, and he's just, I've never been a fan of him. I've never liked Michigan. Michigan's one of those teams, you see him in the top 25 every year, and it's like, why? They have these standouts like Denard Robinson. You know, we know all about Denard Robinson. But it's just like, they're relevant. They, it's like they're being forced down our throats, in a way. It's just like, I I think Harbaugh's probably going to be exposed this year for what that team really is. I don't think. I'll, I think they'll probably drop off out of the rankings by week three. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just, ever since that Michigan Virginia Tech game, this may just because I, this may just be a little bit of bias because I'm a Tech fan. But ever since that game, they just seem like they rode off of that hype forever. And then when Harbaugh hops on, it's like that's another thing they could just hop onto and just ride out for a few years and just milk it out as much as they can. I don't like that with teams. I think Alabama did that for a little while with Saban. Granted, Saban was an excellent coach and they were winning national championships. I'm not talking bad about that. It's just, it was constantly Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. And it's just, there's trends like that all throughout college football. And it's just certain teams, I just get tired of just sitting in the top 25 every year. I I like, then the college football playoffs that kind of started, that kind of got rid of some of those problems where you see those random teams coming, yeah. Exactly. So, I don't know. I just never really liked Michigan. But that's just me. But um, I, yeah. My whole thing is, like, you have these name programs, like Michigan, like Texas, like USC, like, that usually just fall off. The only program that doesn't really do well in big games that consistently stays up in the top ten is Notre Dame. At least they're consistent, except when they get into bowl games and they get smashed. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of how it is with Michigan. I'm just, I'm just waiting for them to do something. I'm pretty sure their whole fan base is waiting for them to do something. Like, and they have one of like the like the most like you could say one of the toughest places to play in. It's the big house, right? They call it the big house. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It is, I believe, it is the largest college football stadium in the country. Yeah, I was about to say. More people than any other stadium. I mean, it's a tough place place to play. And Michigan, like people that go to Michigan, it seems like they really. I mean, it's just like people that go to Tech, they look at like they're big fans of the football and stuff like that. So I mean, I think they'll usually have like a mediocre, or a decent sized crowd. But dude, if they can be relevant again, like dude, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Here is my thing, and this is the last thing on Michigan. Before Michigan does anything. They gotta beat Ohio State. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. That's like uh, just to add to um, one last thing. They announced the All Decade team for the Big Ten. Called it 
there's only, I think, four Michigan players on the whole team. And one of them was Jake Butt at tight end. Wow. Most of those, I'm assuming, Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. If not 90% of them. Ohio State and Penn State. Pretty much like yep, that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now on to one of the many screw-ups by the Cleveland Browns in the last 10 years. Yeah, we could talk about the Browns for like six months straight. We, oh, I, mean, oh, I know. But it's this one in particular. Um, we can all agree that the 2011 draft class, more specifically the top 10 outside of Jake Locker and a few others. Um, <laughs> man, don't do Jake Locker like that, man. <laughs> anyway, um, the top six picks in the 2011 NFL draft are probably the best top six in any draft class that has ever been created. Um, but we're going to talk about one in specific, and this doesn't enter the Browns, considering they're the one that actually owned this pick before they traded to the Falcons for a crap ton of picks that they did absolutely nothing with. Uh, Julio Jones, wide receiver, Alabama, was first team All-American at Bama, had all kinds of stuff. He still owns a couple records there, I believe. Um, Crazy to me that he still has records at Alabama. Yeah. He was considering the talent that's came through. So, yeah, considering the talent that has been there, like, Julio was Alabama before it was Alabama. Yeah. I mean, Julio's played there. Amari Cooper. Uh, yes, sir. They've, they've had so many. Back to the Cowboys. Like, everything comes oh. back to the Cowboys. Oh. It all, it all comes first full circle. Oh, no. Um, yeah, he was drafted six overall by the Falcons. The Browns originally held the pick. Uh, they traded God knows how much, but those players that they – Ended up drafting. They actually traded one of the picks. Oh, God. It was uh, defensive tackle Phil Taylor. Yeah. I... Wide receiver Greg Little. Oh. Running Greg back. Okay. Greg Little was actually okay. Running not... back. Yeah. yeah. Running back Owen Marekic, who never played a snap. I was about to say who, and that was going to be a problem. Quarterback. Quarterback Brandon Wheaton. My favorite. Dallas Cowboys, baby. And they used one of the latter picks to trade up to take Trent Richardson, and we've talked about Trent Richardson two podcasts ago. We don't need to go into that. We're we're never talking about Trent Richardson ever again. Yeah. Ever. So. He lit it up in the AAF, all right? Don't give me that. Daddy did. Yeah, he did. But the one thing and the one play I always remember is when he played for Vegas and there was a massive gaping run hole to his left and then he ran into like 15 blockers. He has like a negative five awareness on that, okay? Yeah. Negative five. Just run out of bounds. Um, so Taylor, um, he played four years before retiring, had seven sacks at 109 tackles. Greg Little had played three years in Cleveland with over 1,800 yards and eight touchdowns. So, you know... Not bad. Um, not bad. I said about Marekic, his, his stats are so bad, they're not even on the list. Uh, Brandon Whedon had 5,100 yards, 23 touchdowns, and 26 interceptions in his two years in Cleveland. He was then traded to Dallas, where he backed up Romo for the rest of his career, and he retired a couple years ago. Well, wasn't Brandon Whedon drafted at, like, 28? He was. Yeah, I felt uh, he was old. He's like one of the, he was a pretty big boss. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, we talked about Trent Richardson the other day. Um, so that's what the Browns got. Let's talk about what the Falcons got. Julio Jones, nine seasons in the league, 797 receptions, over 12,000 yards receiving, and 57 touchdowns. The fact he only has 57 is amazing to me. Um, 
two years ago, I think he only had three all year. Yeah, he did. That, um, that's his one kryptonite. It's the red zone. He can't score in the red zone. Yep. You, um, he's only been under 1,000 yards receiving twice. First year was his rookie year, and the second was a year that he only played like eight games, and he had like 760 or something. Yeah. Um, his best year came in 2015, 136 receptions, which led the league. 1,871 yards, which led the league, and eight touchdowns. He's been in eight playoff games with 61 receptions, 834 yards, and six touchdowns. Um, his best year in 2015, there's one catch that I will always remember, and I'm actually glad it happened because, God forbid, we would have been in the Super Bowl at 18-0 and lost. Um, was the catch over Luke Keekley like 50 yards down the field. I'll always remember it. Um well, props to Keekly for being fifty yards down the field. I know. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, we are talking about one of the greatest linebackers in NFL history here. So, you are, but Julio Jones is a freak. Hell, he is. Always respect for Luke for his coverage skills. Yeah. Um, Julio's been a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-team, two-time first-team All-Pro in 2015 and 2016. He's led the NFL in receiving yards twice, 2015 and 2018. Um. Fantasy-wise, um, in nine seasons, he's finished in the top ten percentage at his position seven out of the nine seasons outside of the his rookie year and the year he only played a couple games. Um, always debate for best wide receiver in the league. If you ask any Falcon fan, what's up, Austin Baker? Um, they're going to tell you it's Julio. I'm going to tell you it's Julio. Um, honestly, when it comes to trades, this is probably one of the most lopsided in draft history. Like, Cleveland's stupid. <laughs> I think they were just trying to put together multiple pieces that they needed because they realized they need to do something. They were, but this is also the Browns who haven't been able to draft properly. It's like they're trying to pull a Patriots move where they try to get multiple traffic. It's exactly what they were trying to do, and then they didn't do anything with them. They took a 28-year-old quarterback out of Oklahoma State. And let's not forget, don't you talk bad about Brandon Weed? That red-haired man is a beautiful man, all right? (laughs) And let's not forget, Julio Jones wasn't the first receiver off the board. No. A.J. Green went at four. A.J. Green was. I think he's just as talented. Oh, I do too. I've always thought. But he can't stay on the field. He can't stay on the field. Like, and that's the whole thing, like, going through that. Like, number one overall was Cam. Number two was Von Miller. Three was Marcel Darius. Four was A.J. Green. Five was Patrick Peterson. Six was Julio Jones. J.J. Watt was drafted in the first round. Richard Sherman was in that draft. It's ridiculous. Gosh, wasn't Thurman like a second, third round pick? Third oh. round pick? Fourth round Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth. Yeah. And he's carried that with him every day since. Yep. Don't ever talk about me, Crabtree. See, also, just to bring up, just to bring up, you know, Sherman went to Stanford, and I am not a fan of Stanford. We've been through this plenty. But the fact that Stanford players, Sherman in particular, they're like, oh, he's a thug. I was like, if you went to Stanford, you're a genius. He's one of the smartest humans in the world. <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know. I don't know what his major was, but it was just like something crazy. I was like, of course. Just so you guys know, Stanford is the hardest non-Ivy League school in the country to get into. It is the second hardest school in the country to get into, period, behind Harvard. That's insane to me. Hold on. Uh, breaking stat. Uh-oh. Yeah, I am uh, I'm looking up what his major was. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Imagine communications. Oh, see, I thought... Because I, I saw his documentary. He said he, like, took some crazy classes while he was there. And I'm just like... Whoa. Andrew Buck majored in, like, architecture or something. And they went to school together for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. What gets me is, like... That was basically the stuff on Julio. But going into Stanford... Stanford puts a ridiculous amount of players in the NFL. They probably put the most in the NFL out, out of the Pac-12. I mean... They're geniuses. Why would you not want someone that's smarter than everybody else playing on I mean, the craziest craziest stat like, ever is that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. Facts. Dude, Ryan Fitzpatrick's probably one of the most majestic... He's people. a genius. He's a majestic man. Um... But yeah, I mean, you look Andrew Luck, Sherman, Toby Gerhardt was good for a while, McCaffrey, uh there's there's so many others. Um I, I like how we're gonna talk about Julio, but Ian's gonna glance over maybe the greatest wide receiver performance I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I know. I'm I, I'm gonna talk about it. Just give me a second. <laughs> I thought we were just gonna gloss. gloss no, over we're not. We're gonna talk about it because this was the biggest level of stupidity defensively play calling that I've ever seen. You can man up on Julio for about one play game, okay? <laughs> so, 2016 in Atlanta, we've been over this. I don't know if we've been over it on the podcast, but Carolina cannot win in Atlanta. They haven't won there since 2013. They're like 2-10 against them in their last 12 games. But in 2016, our idiotic, stupid coaching staff thought it was a good idea to put Ben Abenwickery on single coverage on Julio Jones with no safety help the entire game. Matt Ryan threw for 500 yards. Julio had 300 of those on less than 10 catches and a couple touchdowns. The greatest receiving game literally in league history. And you haven't even heard of Ben Wickery since because he got ghosted by Carolina. And just so the people who are unaware, I'm pretty sure me, Buddha, and Ian could cover Julio better than Ben Ben Wickery could that game. Yeah. So, I think I could do it. I think, I think they could put me out there better. So, like... Uh, that Buddha? 100%. Just take him out. It's him in the knee. Dude, dude no. Listen here. I... It's just simple. It's the hand game. He can, he won't beat me with it. Okay, I, I, just, I'm just gonna shut him down and just try to crab. Him. We're, we're just gonna not act like Julio Jones is six five. Like yeah, just gonna crab block him. But you know all you gotta do. But oh, no, um, it was one of the greatest games. But you know, ever since then, Julio never really had any crazy success against Carolina because James Bradbury was something else against elite receivers, but no longer that because uh, he's in New York now with the Giants. Yikes. Which, look, with Bradbury, I loved him, but he's not worth what the Giants paid him. So no. if he had to walk, he had to walk. But honestly... Corner's another one of those positions that's, that if you aren't elite, you're probably borderline replaceable as well. Oh, agreed. Definitely, definitely, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, here's, if you're not elite, you're replaceable. Here is my thing about the corner position. And, like, just to use y'all's two's division as an example, now that, uh-huh. now that Hopkins is gone, there's not really an elite guy in the AFC South. T.Y. Hilton's the best receiver in the, in the division? Yeah. Which but, is kind of sad. 
But I, but hey, don't be, don't be rat on T. Wild like that. Here, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from the Colts' corners' point of view. There's not really an elite guy. Uh, Brandon Cooks. Dude, that man's been traded and concussed so many times. He probably doesn't even know his name anymore. He doesn't Uh, know what team he plays for. Um, when it comes to the NFC East, when it comes to Dallas's corners, uh, just brush the Eagles, Redskins, and Giants aside because none of them have elite receivers. See, but the Eagles do have a lot of corner talent now. They do. Yeah, yeah, didn't they pick up a few in the draft? And they got Darius Slay. Yeah, for, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So they got Maddox. Slay. Somebody to cover, cover Cooper. So <laughs> that's why I picked up CeeDee Lamb. So um, double by and double. here's the thing. I think they're just going to leave Michael Gallup. So, man, I'm like, We're going to go full dollar package. We're going to have like eight corners on the field. This is at three. All yeah. day. Like a, two, a two-man rush set. That's yeah, it. all day. <laughs> um... See, you know, looking at y'all's divisions, I'm like, hey, it must be nice not having to go against three, possibly four elite receivers two times a year each. Because with Tampa, you got Evans and Godwin. With Atlanta, you got Julio, and Calvin Ridley is getting there. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about Gronkowski now. Considering yeah, that's true, too. Well, they do have Gronk, but he hasn't played in a year, so we'll okay, see. Gronkowski, come on, dude. Um, and then when it comes to the Saints, yeah, you've got Michael Thomas and Kamara, but I think the most underrated free agent signing of the offseason goes to Emmanuel Sanders going to New Orleans. And it's going to take so much pressure off of Michael Thomas. Yeah. Just oh. so, there. That's not true. And I've said this, and Carl obviously knows because we've had this conversation plenty of times. There is, to me, not another division in the NFL that has a deeper elite wide receiver Division than the NFC South. Like, it's ridiculous. No, but the NFC West could potentially get there now. Uh, agreed. They have Hopkins. You have Cooper Cup, who is really low key one of the best receivers in the game. Yeah. He just gets in the space, dude. He's just good yep. to the spot. And you got Robert Woods. You got Tyler Lockett. Uh, DK Metcalf, who is ridiculous. He's another. He's another freakishly good. Yeah. Dude, he's, I think he's going to be next to Julio potentially. But yeah, in a couple of years, I could definitely see that. Now that Hopkins, of course, is in Arizona. Yep. But as of right now, no. The NFC South is untouched with the amount of of ridiculous well, wide receivers well, they have. Here, the only stat you need to know about how ridiculous the division, the receiver, the receiver core is in the NFC South. There were six receivers from that division alone that had a thousand yard seasons. The Falcons had Julio, the Saints had Michael Thomas, the Bucks had Godwin and Evans, and the Panthers had uh, had had of course CMC and DJ Moore. DJ Moore is going to be a problem this year. DJ Moore is going to be a problem. That's just. I mean, yeah, the man still needs to, you know, get some more touches in the red zone and the end zone. But dude had Kyle Allen throwing him the ball for 95% of the year and had over 1,000 yards. So, And Ron Rivera liked him so much that he traded for him. Yeah. Kyle Allen, that is. Yikes. Um, my only thing that might hurt DJ is the fact that he's in a receiving room along with, uh, along with Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel. It's – but I Y'all think – Y'all need to get Curtis Samuel touches out of the backfield. I think, do you, I know how long I've been saying this. That's what that man did at Ohio State. 
I agree. Let's I wouldn't mind him putting him at running back for a few times to get McCaffrey off the field. Uh, we've talked about this. He was legitimately a running back. I think McCaffrey just needs to move, to move to slot receiver and just call it a Right? <laughs> He'd be the best slot receiver probably in the past decade. I mean, he's caught like 200 and something passes the last two years, so. In the slot, dude. That thing I sent you earlier, Ian. He's yeah. caught the third most passes in, three in the first three years of his career, like yeah. all time. Yeah. You seen what he's done to so many linebackers in the league? Put him on a slant route in open space. Here is my thing. Here is my uh, thing. Nike removed all the Redskins merchandise from Nike.com. Oh boy. Oh wow. They're so, really serious about this. Like they're like taking it to another level. It's gonna happen. They're it's, gonna end up being like the Washington Warriors or something. Well, like people were posted think they might be like the. It wasn't. I don't know if it was the Red Tails, but it was like referring to like some like. Yeah, I saw, see, I saw that online. That, I can't, I can't remember what it was. It was yeah, it was the Washington Red Tails paying homage to the to Tuskegee Airmen in World War Two. Be tough, yeah, I, yeah. Maybe yeah, so it was a really good movie. There's that. My whole thing is like when I watch Carolina games and I watch every single one of them, whether it's on TV or if I got to find some link or something. When I Uh-oh. see McCaffrey saying some incriminating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's also it's also basically that I basically use some friends of mine's direct TV. But when I see McCaffrey get on the slot and they put a linebacker on him, I'm like, this is going for 50 yards. It's over. It's over with. No one can contest with him. Just, just send that man across the middle because he's going to die if he gets hit. Coming across the middle. Yeah, that's why I don't like to see him in slant routes. No, he's gonna die. He's gonna murder the linebacker. He's gonna do. I don't. I don't know, man. He's a small fella. Yeah, he'll shake him though. That's the thing. Yeah, that's true. As long as he don't get hit, he's fine. Yeah. Well, almost fifty-five minutes. Another really short one, but hey, this is the second in two days. Carl and I did an hour and thirteen minutes the other day. So, right. Um. <laughs> Our next episode will probably be next Thursday, just due to scheduling. But uh, that was episode five. We hope you all enjoy, and we will see you guys next week. See you, boys. See you, boys.